Thank you, Pastor Micah. I agree with him. It is unsettling when you first come in and see the choir without choir robes when summer starts, and you think, who forgot to pick up the dry cleaning? (laughs) So if I had business cards, they would say, Minister of Youth. And what that means is, is that I, along with a great team of other ministers, a fantastic coordinator, some volunteers that are fantastic, and parents, our goal is to make a lasting impact in the lives of young people. Really, what we're trying to do is leave an eternal legacy in their lives, one that takes deep root and then pours out for the kingdom of God. And we're not just trying to improve these kids, make their manners better, more polite, help them look up from their phones once in a while. We're trying to show them Jesus. We're desperately trying to convince them that Jesus is the ultimate reason for living. We're trying to take the trajectory of their lives and change it for the sake of and the name of God. We're doing youth work so that these young people would see their lives and their talents and their gifts. They would see all those things as things given to them so that they can take them and give them away. This is a really big job, though, because we're talking about another new generation. There's a lot of baby boomers here. Those are people who know who Rush Limbaugh is. There are Gen Xers in the room who've seen the movie The Matrix. There are millennials in the room who didn't realize that college loans are things you're supposed to pay back. But Generation Z is upon us. Generation Z, write that down maybe. 70 million kids born between 99 and 2015, the very first post-Christian generation in the history of the United States. It is true, every human is born with sin in their heart. But this generation, on top of that, the culture around them is totally missing a common acceptance of morality and truth. The culture around them, by and large, is set on a trajectory that rejects the historical Christian faith. Prior generations grew up with at least some awareness of Judeo-Christian values, at least maybe as a reference point. We also have a big job because these teens who encounter Christ, they're going to become the church of tomorrow. And every single teenager, as annoying as they sometimes can be, have a spiritual gift given to them from God and can be used in the church and the world. And these young people are hunting. They are longing for a cause to live for. They're on the lookout for the next big cause, something that really matters. And we don't even have enough time to list all the good causes that are out there. But these young people, they need to know that there is a cause more important than any other cause. It's the ultimate cause, the Great Commission. Jesus' instruction, he had risen from the dead and he gathered his disciples and he said, take my teachings and take them to the ends of the earth. We need young people who become disciples of Christ who then make other disciples of Christ because every good cause 
should spill out of that one ultimate cause. And if we do our job right as youth workers, as parents, Gen Z will commit to the church for the long haul. Now, I have no scientific evidence to back that up. I have a lot of good stories, though. I have no statistical evidence to back up what I just said. All I can look to is the last 1,309 weeks that I've spent talking to, listening to, teaching, hanging out with young people, seeing many of them graduate out of the ministry, leave, go to another country, go to a college, go to another state, and plug into a church, the church, and God uses them there to grow and build his church, to leave a legacy. We're desperate, desperate that God would move in the lives of our young people, desperate to introduce them to Jesus and then help them grow in their relationship to the King of Kings. But it's a big job. These young kids, if you've noticed, are very different than many of us. Just how different? Well, these teens have experienced racial diversity on a different scale than most adults alive. Half of them are non-white. They are the most racially and ethnically diverse generation in American history, according to Barna. And yes, they love their screen time. More than 57% of them are on their devices more than four hours a day. More than 26% of them are on their devices for more than eight hours a day. And there's a few of them in there that are not even surprised by that. They're like, I can beat that later. Give me some time. (laughs) Their attention spans are shorter. Their access to new information is faster. And to many of them, the highest moral standards on earth are not wisdom or courage or justice, even though those make great movies. For many... Their greatest virtues have become acceptance and inclusivity. And we've made life tough on them through some of our own doing as well. We've given them too many options. I read an article this week that in regards to what young people consume on their screens, that they have so many hundreds and thousands of options when they open their devices that many of them are being crippled by that choice and end up closing the device or watching something they've seen before. Quite a weird problem. We've also given them too much money. We've thrown it at them. And as I mentioned before, some of them are surprised that they have to pay it back. This has affected not just this generation, but some before us as well. The way we behave today, the way we handle our choices, our time, our talents, our treasure, it will indicate the legacy we can have in the future. I I got a little clip that will help us get our heads around in a funny way how this generation has tended to deal with money. Go ahead and turn your attention to the screen.
The reason that's funny is because it's kind of true in a sense, right? And we, we know spending what you don't have is a problem, okay? That has that nasty name, debt. This morning, what we're going to look at through the life of David is the reality that not giving away what you've been given is a problem too. Not managing our resources wisely is to ignore God's blessings on us. We have a big job to do. We have a legacy to leave. And these challenges aren't relatively new. Um, They are relatively new. And they're somewhat unique to us in the West. It hasn't always been like this, though. If you look in different cultures, different generations, this idea of individual success was not really the main goal of life. Personal achievement was not the highest ideal. Instead, it was perhaps the glory of their family name or maybe the pride of their nation. People would work and save and earn and spend their lives all toward this greater force, this thing outside themselves. And David's a great idea, a great example of this, living for something greater than yourself. And that's why we've had a spotlight on him in this series called Pursuit. As a boy, if you'll remember Sunday school, David worked for his family's business, risking his own life, protecting the flock, fighting off wild animals who threatened his family's income. And still as a boy, he risked his life again, fighting an actual giant to protect his nation from death and destruction. In his younger years, he be- uh, before he became king, he honored the king of Israel for years even though it hurt him personally. He honored the position of the king. Then David became king at about 30 years old. He led the nation of Israel for 40 years, and we know he was not sinless. We know he grieved God's heart many times. However, he led the nation well, and he was beloved by his people. He governed his own people well and the people he subdued well. He formed great alliances with other kings and and helped the world around him get more stability. And then it came to the temple. David wanted to see that his God's glory would be on display. He really wanted to build this temple that would have no rival. He wanted other nations to be in awe of his God, his family, his nation, his king, his temple, his world. David had a fantastic outward scope. If we turn it inside, though, some people would say in David's in personal life, his things didn't go so well. That in his twilight years, he made some poor decisions where guilt and disgrace not only messed with him, but left some painful tremors in the lives of his own children, marriages as well. Even the transition to the kingship to Solomon wasn't handled very well, you could argue, and that's okay. But before we get to our passage in Psalms, I want to recall something from 2 Samuel 23, because there we read in the first five verses the last words of David's life, the last thing he uttered. 2 Samuel 23, verse 1, now these are the last words of David. The oracle of David, the son of Jesse, the oracle of the man who was raised on high, the anointed of the God of Jacob, the sweet psalmist of Israel. His prayer begins. The spirit of the Lord speaks by me. His word is on my tongue. The God of Israel has spoken. The rock of Israel has said to me, when one rules justly over men, ruling in the fear of God, he dawns on them like the morning light 
like the sun shining forth on a cloudless morning, like rain that makes grass to grow from the, sprout from the earth. For does not my house stand so with God? For he has made me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and secure. Will he not cause to prosper all my help and my desire? David knew then what you and I can know today, that our house, as he described it, our lives, if they're going to be valuable for eternity, they must stand for God. Our lives must be lived through God. And our lives must be lived acknowledging God and his promise because our house stands with God. The promise God made to David was a never-ending promise, and it gets answered. It gets fulfilled for you and I, for the world. God made a promise to David that from his throne, from his family line, one of his children, one of his descendants would be in charge, would reign forever. That's really difficult to pull off. The Egyptians tried by putting their dead pharaohs in pyramids. But this king would actually live forever. 2 Samuel chapter 7, we hear this promise as God spoke to the prophet Nathan to David. 2 Samuel 7, 8, Now therefore you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. I've been with you wherever you went. I've cut off all your enemies from before you, and I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them, so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly. From that time I appointed judges over my people Israel, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son, and when he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. What a promise to David that through him would come a legacy that would impact the entire world forever. Now, David was a great king. He was a man after God's own heart. But David was thinking ahead, which is not easy for many of us. David was thinking of the legacy that, would, that God would orchestrate through him. It's interesting if you fast forward hundreds of years to, way, to the way that the Apostle Paul writes about David. In Acts 13.37, Paul wrote this. Now, when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. He was buried with his ancestors and his body decayed, but the one whom God raised from the dead did not see decay. Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin, a justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. 
David's life was a gift. It wasn't his. David served God's purpose. And it's the same for you and me. Our lives, in all their distinctiveness, is ultimately to serve God's purpose in this world. Remember what Paul said to the Corinthian church? Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. You're not your own. David's life was a gift and a legacy was left. A gift so valuable we can't put a price on it. Jesus. And it's to be the same for every disciple of Jesus. Now, I don't know how good you feel this morning. I don't know how regal you feel this morning. I'm not positive that all of you were treated like royalty this week. But even if you aren't a king, God is calling every human being to become a follower of Jesus, a child of the king. God is declaring to you in that that you are valuable. You are his creation, and he wants that you can be forgiven of your sin when you enter a relationship with Jesus, and through that relationship to become a child of the King of Kings. And and in this new life, God wants to totally redo, totally remodel, totally reconstruct every part of our lives, especially how you look to and prepare for the future. Now, if you stole the phone of a teenager next to you and looked on Instagram, you would find trillions of pictures. But they've figured out a way to organize these pictures into different folders they call hashtags. And one of the more popular ones has 3.2 million pictures filed under the hashtag, living my best life. Living my best life. 3.2 million pictures that highlight these people's different versions of whatever their best life is. You've got your parties, you've got your pools, you've got your dogs of all kinds, you've got your dreamy vacations, you've got your cars, you've got your clothes, the best life. Some of you may remember about 20-something years ago, a popular prosperity gospel preacher wrote a best-selling book called Your Best Life Now. In it, he made this pitch that God wants you to go higher, rise above your obstacles, and live in health, abundance, and victory. Sounds great. Is it real? I'm not sure. Five million people bought that book and probably came away from it thinking they read the message of the Bible. And they think that the message of the Bible is about them. Is about their success, their popularity, their house, their car, their promotion, their retirement. There's a pastor named Greg Gilbert out of Kentucky who wrote a long article in response to that book, and he said something powerful. He said, the gospel is not about collaborating with God to make yourself successful. It's not about getting more stuff and being more prosperous. It's about God forgiving people for their sin through the death of his son, bringing them to life from the spiritual dead and conforming them to the image of Jesus Christ. And King David was a successful king, but that wasn't about him. The temple Solomon built was truly incredible, but it wasn't about him. And as Paul noted, David was serving God's purpose. And if you and I follow Jesus, we will do the same. Our lives and everything about them will be stewarded towards God's purposes. Our jobs and how we do them. Our schools and how we act and perform at them. 
our children and how we raise them, our talents and how we use them, our money and how we spend it, invest it, give it away. So whether you're young or old, if you're going to leave a legacy for this lifetime and for eternity, you're going to allow God to reform, to replace what you consider your best life. David gave us some great wisdom on this from Psalm 37.4 where he wrote, Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And here's what we need to get today. Big takeaway here that the best life, the best life is one that is exhausted towards the king and his kingdom purposes. That means you and I, as disciples of Jesus, will spend and drain and run out every gift, every resource, every skill that God equips us with in this lifetime. No matter your age, no matter the size of your wallet, no matter your height, no matter your IQ, all of us can ask ourselves and ask the king, what do I have? How have you made me? What have you given to me? How can I use all these things and steward it Give it away for the kingdom of God. Some of us consider our children to be our most powerful legacy. And they are a great legacy. But there's more to it than that. There's more to it than that. Even if you don't have children, the Lord is interested in building a legacy through you for his kingdom that goes beyond children. Think of what the psalmist wrote in Psalm 113, verse 5. Who is like the Lord our God? The one enthroned on high, who stoops down to look on the heavens and the earth. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the trash heap in order to seat them with nobles, with the nobles of his people. He gives the childless woman a household, making her the joyful mother of children. Hallelujah. Even childless people can have a spiritual household, a spiritual legacy when they spend their life for the kingdom of God. And families who have children can realize that they need to teach their kids that while this life is important and at times good, this life is not about this life. It's about eternity with our Creator, with our Savior. In our passage in Psalm 39, we get a big clarity moment from David in verse 4. Lord, Make me aware of my end and the number of my days so that I will know how short-lived I am. In fact, you've made my days just inches long and my lifespan is as nothing to you. Every human being stands only as a vapor. Yes, a person goes about like a shadow. Indeed, they rush around in vain, gathering possessions without knowing who will get them. Now, Lord, what do I wait for? My hope is in you. And David is basically saying, in my summary here, life is short, everyone dies, make sure you don't pile up stuff for just your kids to fight over, and our biggest hope, our biggest investment, our biggest legacy should be in the Lord and his kingdom. I thought it was kind of funny, when you're 11 years old, if you can remember that, when we're 11, we feel like we're going to live forever. The next summer seems like it can never come. When you're in your 20s, you start looking at your aging parents and think, wow, life is sure hitting you hard. 
And then you turn around and realize you're in your 40s and you start feeling a little more human. And David's words about life being just inches long starts making a little more sense. And then there's a guy here at church. I would qualify him in his later years. And whenever I ask him, how are you? His response gets me. He goes, any day... I'm above the grass is a good day. Some might say that's a little morbid. However, David did tell us every human being is just a vapor. Gone. So how are we going to spend it? How will we live our life in such a way that God's kingdom is expanded because of it so that we leave a legacy for Jesus? We would be really wise to listen to David and plan for our future with forethought, with godly wisdom, One thing that's great, God has brought to South Shores a very special core of generous people. People, by example, who are eager to leave a legacy for Jesus in South Orange County, but also the globe. Almost every weekend, we are so blessed that almost every weekend there's a missionary on this stage up here telling us about the work that they're doing for the gospel all around the earth. That is so special. The generosity of just a small core of people makes that possible. Their legacy is huge, but it got me thinking, what more could we do? Did you know that of all the work that God is doing at South Shores, and it's a lot of stuff. If you ever read the bulletin, it's overwhelming. Our missionary work around the globe, the building project that's going to expand how many people we can impact here in Orange County, VBS, all the, everything that's happening here. Did you know that all of that work is financially supported by less than half the people who call South Shores home? Said a different way, more than half of the people who call South Shores home have never contributed a single dollar towards God's work here. And it makes me ask why. What are they looking at in their life that that makes sense to them? And out of that, my prayer would be that you could get behind what David prayed, that you would delight yourself in the Lord so much that he would rewire your brain and heart and give you the desire to invest in a spiritual legacy in your church home and in the world, financially, spiritually, physically. And of all of David's legacy, what's most important is not the glamour of the temple, It's not the riches of his son Solomon. It's not the battles he won. What is most important is one of his descendants, the son of David, Jesus of Nazareth. David was a solid king, very worth remembering. But his best legacy is what he left through his legacy that points us to and actually gives us Jesus. Because he's the ultimate king who offers salvation to the world. In his book or article, What Made David Great, Pastor Kevin DeYoung wrote this about him. David was a man after God's own heart because he hated sin but loved to forgive it. What better example of God could there be? God doesn't just welcome his enemies in, he dies in their stead. He's always eager to show mercy, always willing to give traitors a second chance, and yet God is not soft on sin, he exposes it and calls on us to exterminate it. But of course, God, unlike David, is never guilty of his own sin. 
God showed his condescension, not by humbling himself before a needed rebuke, but by humbling himself to take on human flesh and take up a cross. David was great, but not nearly as great as his greater son. So it's that descendant of David that the world received the gift of Jesus. And Jesus, who did live a sinless life, who did die on a Roman cross for the sin of the world, who did rise from the dead, appearing to hundreds of eyewitnesses afterwards, who then ascended to heaven, promising to return, Jesus has left us the greatest legacy possible in the gift that is himself. And so to our church, I would pray that every one of us, if you're a disciple of Christ, if you've received the gift that is Jesus, that along with that gift, that we would take it and every one of us in both our lives and in our death, we would pour that gift out and leave a legacy. Let's pray. Jesus, we need your spirit to help us to delight in you that we might find our best life when it's exhausted for your name and your kingdom. Would you help that, help us to grow as a church in that, empower us to do it. And I pray if there's anyone here today who's never said yes to the offer of forgiveness made to them in Jesus, that today would be that day and the legacy would begin. It's in your name we pray.